What is up, everybody? Welcome to Subway Sports Talk. My name is Peter Kennedy, and I am your host. Thank you so much, as always, for tuning in to SST on Apple Podcasts, App, Spotify, YouTube, anywhere you listen to podcasts. We appreciate you the same. We appreciate you, though, even more if you feel so kind to leave a rating and review on your podcast app. Hit the subscribe button. Hit the notification bell on YouTube. Drop a comment on those videos. All helps this podcast get in front of more eyes, more ears, and for that, I say thank you. But this episode here is a great one because we're talking Knicks playoff basketball with a bit of a twist that I'm excited about. And I got to tell you, this was a fantastic episode. He's been on the podcast, I believe, at least once, maybe twice before. We may have talked about the possibilities of this coming to fruition. But Zach Weiss of Across the Cavs podcast is joining us today to talk about the Cavs and the Knicks and this wonderful playoff series that we have on tap. We got predictions, X-Factors, full breakdowns of full lineups and benches for both sides, how the Knicks have a path to win, how the Cavs are favored to win, and maybe they should be. We talk about it all. But just real quick note, this is a home-and-home, if you will. It's getting posted right here as you're listening to it on Subway Sports Talk. But Zach Weiss is running point guard On this particular episode, we have a little plan in place that when either team gets two wins in this series, the Cavs or the Knicks, we're going to record again, the two of us, and I'll run point on that that episode. Uh, But this is just super fun. Two guys were locked into their teams. You got Zach all over the Cavs. He's also a tri-state area guy, so he's tapped into his New York stuff as well. And then, of course, I'm watching as many Knicks games as possible. I've seen a lot of Cavs stuff. It's exciting. This is going to be a great series, at least... Maybe I'm just telling myself that. I don't know. Do you guys agree? Listen to the episode. Let me know. Let me know on Twitter at Kennedy 2 wise on the end or at Subway Sports Talk. Also, Instagram, TikTok, at Subway Sports Talk, YouTube. I told you that already. You know where to find us. Find Zach, however, at Across Cavs on Twitter and Across the Cavs on your podcast apps and on TikTok. He's all over the place as well. So shout out to Zach Weiss, Across the Cavs, Subway Sports Talk, mashup. Stay tuned for this wonderful Knicks-Cavs playoff series preview. Cheers. Welcome to Subway Sports Talk. Dan, 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 clear of the closing doors, please. Ladies and gentlemen, and welcome inside the latest edition of Across the Cavs. It is playoff time. It's finally here. Not much happening in Cavs history on this day in history. 26 years ago, Allen Iverson in his first season dropped 50 in Cleveland, but the Cavs win by seven. Sixers fell to 20 and 50, I believe 21 and 57 with that defeat, while the Cavs improved to 40 and 37. No one on the Cavs had more than 25. We got a Bobby Sura double-double. Classic name from Cavs lore. And then Ron Harper Jr. turning 23. Happy birthday to the son of one of the greatest Cavs of all time. Still don't understand why he was traded for an Italian man named Danny Ferry. Don't think we're ever going to know the answer. Actually, we do know the answer because they were cheap. And thought that Danny Ferry was this otherworldly guy and player. who I don't even think he would play for his original team. I don't know if he ever played for the Clippers. But nonetheless... Happy 23rd birthday to Ron Harper Jr. We're in playoff mode. It's been 25 years, as mentioned in the intro, since we had playoff basketball without LeBron James. Cavs are playing the Knicks. Today's guest 
covers the Knicks and all things New York sports. He's Pete Kennedy. He's no stranger to the Across the Cavs universe. I've been lucky enough to go on the SST side of things as well. Pete, we love each other now, but I'm sure we'll be throwing some haymakers at one another by the time Saturday comes and goes. We are officially rivals, Zach, and thanks for having me. Um, I do want to say this, and I don't want to fact check it. I feel like we may have predicted this possibility midway point through the season. The first time we ever did an episode together, we kind of discussed the options, the opportunities of a Cavs-Knicks playoff series. And again, I'm not fact checking that, not going back and listening, but I know deep down in my heart that we discussed that, and I'm happy that we are here it's exciting. We have so many underlying storylines here. You just mentioned in your open the was it 25 years since yeah. Le, since a LeBronless playoff run for the Cavs. Yeah. Within those 25 years, many a battles, mostly won by the Cavs when LeBron was there between the Cavs and Knicks, but with Mitchell, with some of these other players that are kind of head to head with one another. Maybe they're friends off the court. Now they're enemies. I'm just thrilled. I'm pumped for this series. Yeah, this is going to be absolutely a blast. You know, we look to the 1920 season, the Knicks, the Knicks won three out of four against the Cavs. The 2021 season, we saw the Knicks win two out of three. The Cavs swept the Knicks last year, but this year, New York winning three of the final four games, or three of the four games, including the last three, and a game that we're really not going to draw upon until we have to. Jalen Brunson just decided that everyone else is out. I'm just going to absolutely go crazy in, in a day where Donovan, I think, had 30 at the half. Jalen Brunson still went up to him. But, Pete, let's look at some of the numbers on this series before we dive in. The odds to win the series, Cavs are at minus 205, the Knicks at plus 170. This is from Sportsline.com. The series handicap, Cavs minus one and a half games at plus 100. Knicks plus one and a half at minus 125. Series to go seven and six plus 200 to go five plus 275. And if you're projecting a sweep plus 575, some nice money. And a look at the finishes Cavs and seven is plus 325, followed by Cavs and five at plus 375. Knicks and six at plus 450. Cavs and six at plus 650. Cavs and four is 470. And the two most unlikely odds, although anything can happen in the postseason, Knicks and five is plus 1200. And the unpredictable Knicks in four. Some nice money at plus 2,000. So, Pete, the first question here, we're going to get to the nuances and the specifics. Regardless of winner, how many games do you expect this showdown to go? I think it's going for the Knicks are going to sweep 4-0 plus, eight, <laughs> plus 1,800. Lock it in. No, of course not. That is definitely not going to happen. I think your whole team would need a week-long food poisoning for something like that to occur. Um, the Knicks are not obviously sweeping, but I do think, Zach, we are going to have a very competitive series on our hands. Uh, I know the Randall thing is being spoken about, and we're going to get into the nuances. My prediction right here, right now, this is going seven, Zach. This is going to go seven games this series, and I'll, I'll hold off with who I will say will win until later in the show, but this is going to be a battle seven-game series that I can't wait for. Seven games, man. If we get a first-round game seven... They're going to give me flashbacks to 2018. The only other Cavs first round game seven in the Braun era, I believe. I don't think they've had another one with the Pacers. They almost beat us. The Cavs had some late season struggles that actually led them into that Pacers series. And oh boy. All right. Uh, I don't expect it to go seven. And if the Knicks did sweep plus 2000, you could turn a little 20 buckaroos into a nice little two grand with that. So if there's some crazy people out there 
obviously anyone that lives in New York is just, they're just throwing that money around, but now that they can, but you know, I'm, I'm going to say six, I'm going to say six. You know, I think this is the type of series where home court is something, but not everything as loud as the garden gets. We learned when they played the Hawks that it doesn't lead to wins. Right. And on the other side of that, as good as the Cavs were at home this year, 32 and nine, it doesn't mean they're just going to come out and dominate because they're playing on a certain court. The Knicks won in Cleveland in the last visit that they had. They won three straight in the series. They're plus 15 in wins in the all-time head-to-head. But we look at things, and it just feels like it won't go seven because each team will lose at home, and I think the series ends at the Garden game six. Now, who's going to win? We can, we can go back and forth. But I think we got to start with here, Pete, is the point guard battle because everyone expected Darius Garland to repeat as an all-star this year. He did not. He didn't get worse. He obviously took a back seat to Donovan Mitchell. While the Knicks signed Rick Brunson's son, Jalen, who turned out to be possibly, arguably, and it's hard for me to even win this argument, on the other end, better than Darius Garland. Which is really tough. And I, I like that you kind of mentioned that Darius Garland didn't get worse from last year. He's been the forgotten son of this NBA season. I think he had a lot of momentum last year as that team overachieved. And then obviously the injuries really kind of slowed you guys down towards the end there. And, you know, it was a fault of nobody that Garland was kind of on an island offensively last year to do everything himself. 21 uh, and 8 this year, even with the usage of Donovan Mitchell next to him, is super impressive. And he doesn't get talked about. Everyone likes to have these conversations. Who's the most underrated? Who's the least appreciated? Yada, yada, yada. His name doesn't even get mentioned in that category enough because Donovan Mitchell takes so much shine, as do the Twin Towers of Mobley and Jared Allen. That foursome is elite. And I mentioned on my podcast last week just how that foursome is the strength of the team and the thing that separates them from the Knicks. However, the thing that helps the Knicks, perhaps, and we'll get more into it, is the bench. On the Darius Garland front, what I what I really want to look at here is who is guarding who in this series. Because Brunson holds up fine. He's not a wonderful defender, but he's a fine defender. Quickly has been a really nice defender this year. Some would say way better than expected. I would say that. Uh, R.J. Barrett can guard twos. Uh, Quentin Grimes can do it. Josh Hart can do it. But who's going to take the bulk of the minutes on Mitchell and does that leave a weakness on Darius Garland? I think that's ultra important here because Garland can cook. And if your main main focus is saying, oh, we can't let Mitchell score 35, 40 points in a game, you better be careful because you might see uh, Darius Garland throw up some 28 and 8 games right on top of your face, right? So it's a really delicate balance here as far as this Cavs offensive firepower from a Knicks perspective of who's guarding who. If you sell out Donovan Mitchell, Garland is more than capable to take advantage and really put you out. So he doesn't get enough love. I love Darius Garland. He's one of my favorite players to watch in this game. The calmness that he has when he handles the ball, gets to his spots, makes his teammates better the whole nine. He's one of those guys who flies under the radar. No one will say he's the X factor of this series because everyone's going to point to Mitchell and Brunson and Randall and maybe even quickly as that spark plug guy for the Knicks over Garland. But he is the person who, yeah, you're just going to chalk up 20 and eight. That's fine. If he has two games where he goes for 30, he hits a couple extra shots, they are not going to be beatable for this Knicks team. Yeah, and on the other side of that coin, you know, we look at how are we going to match up. So the important thing for the Cavs, uh, Isaac Okoro got hurt against Houston. The very next game after hitting the game-winning three in Brooklyn, 
So he's only played nine minutes since making that shot. He missed the last six, should be back with this whole week of rest. Didn't think he'd be as valuable as he is to this juncture or to this point in the year, just based on his inconsistencies at times. Karis Levert's really come on and will probably play more than he does. Danny Green had two incredible games, what some might call garbage time. There's no more seating at stake. He played very well in both, shot the lights out. Howell Neto and Sam Merrill both stepping up, all three of them outplaying Ricky Rubio, who was in a starting role for these last couple. So we'll see what the Cavs bench rotation looks like. But I think the focus has to be on Brunson. Julius Randle is going to be coming off an injury, and we're going to get into it after this. will be our next subject, his playoff struggles against Atlanta two years ago. But I think for the Cavs, and you're going to probably see this from the Knicks too, I expect you guys to start with Brunson on a Coro until they switch him into action, as a Coro will probably be used as a screen setter at times. Not saying Brunson's a bad defender, but he's definitely the worst in the starting lineup. Someone has to be, no matter how good your starting lineup is. And then on the other end, I would expect to see Darius Garland on Quentin Grimes because he has the least amount of slashing potential of the three. If Garland would just stay on him on the perimeter, I think he'll be fine. I expect to see Donovan Mitchell on R.J. Barrett, and then Brunson will get a Coro on the flip as well. The Cavs' bigs are switchable. I think you're going to be very intrigued. And having watched the regular season game last time, it was rough for the Cavs. But Mobley and Allen both very equipped to guard the perimeter. And here's the area where I think, Pete, the, there could be a massive advantage for the Knicks, unfortunately. And it's that beyond Mobley and Allen, there is no third big that can really come in and make an impact because Dean Wade has been absolutely horrible Lamar Stevens might be able to squeeze in some minutes at the four, but he can't play the five. They did not activate Isaiah Mobley or Mamadi Diakite from their two-way contracts, meaning Robin Lopez, who might have more holes in his game than Swiss cheese this season. I like him. He's a good guy. He's a good presence. He's funny. He still has the mascot thing, but he's not playable, which means we only have two bigs. If Julius Randle comes back, and I hate the term foul merchant, unfortunately. it's I'll say it's partially true. He's not as bad as other guys around the league. But if he's able to do his thing and get the fouls on one of the two, the Knicks get a major advantage in the paint and on the glass. With the whole paint situation, too, we, you know, it's hard to point to regular season games in this season, whether it be this series or any series in the NBA, because you always have to check who was in, who was out, who was hurt, who was playing – under the weather, right? Like this season, it feels like more than any, you just can't just say, oh, the Knicks beat the Cavs three times this year. That means they're better, right? Then you go back to the box score. And I don't think this is the case. I'm just using it as an example. You go back to the box score and Jared Allen missed every game and Donovan Mitchell missed half of them, right? Like it's really hard to do that. But if you look at that most recent game, I look at a guy like Mitchell Robinson, who even without Julius Randle is a guy who can wreak havoc. And I was dying for him to get back in the rotation. I think he missed just looking at this quickly, about a dozen or so games, maybe 14 games when he got hurt in the latter portion of the season. And I thought his absence was enormous. His offensive rebounding this year has been so elite. And looking at that Cavs game specifically, he had 14 rebounds. Nine of them were offensive rebounds. So yes, the Cavs have the twin towers in Mobley and Allen, but Mitchell Robinson in his own right, can get people into foul trouble just by crashing the glass as hard as he does. Even though he's not a good free throw shooter, he can get people to foul him when he goes for putbacks and alley-oops and et cetera. So his impact on this game is also huge just by the rebounding front. Because you think of it right off the rip, 
and you say, oh, the Cavs must have the rebounding advantage with those two big guys, with Donovan Mitchell, who can rebound well for a guard, Okoro can help out there, and, and you think about that right away. However, that offensive glass number and him being the best offensive rebounder in the game, perhaps, can really make a big impact here on those two bigs specifically, and God forbid one of them get into foul trouble. It changes the whole dynamic of your elite defense, which has been, what, top three this entire yep. season? So I look at Mitch as another one of those X factors. Yeah, amazingly, it did persist and continue. But up there with the Chicago Bulls, it's still baffling to me that they have, I think, one of the top five defenses and the best in the league since they signed Patrick Beverly. Do we actually expect Crazy. him to have a, a quick aside? Pete, do we actually expect Patrick Beverly to be a real talking point in Chicago? I expected him to come off the bench, play 15 minutes, and do nothing. But he actually, along with Caruso and Patrick Williams – I think they're good enough to get out of the play and completely win two games, get the eight, and win one or two against the Bucks. It's April 12th. We're recording this prior to the Bulls' first play-in game here, so I don't want to speak out of turn, but I think we should be calling him play-in Pat right now. That's, that's <laughs> playing Pat Bev right there we're talking about. He's got his podcast. He's talking smack. He's doing his thing. Listen, Patrick Beverly has been one of the easiest punching bags for me in the whole NBA for a while now with his antics, with him acting as if he's some tremendous uh, talent and star in this league when everybody who watches him knows he's a mediocre player with a big boy attitude. And sometimes it could be really, really annoying to watch him play basketball. However, the things he does well is pretty undeniable. He's absolutely a menace on people's mental capacity on defense and is a pretty good regular defender, right? Like the mental part of it is there and his actual defense is pretty good as well. He can hit open shots. He doesn't make huge mistakes on offense. So he is a relevant enough player. It always bothered me when he got looked at as like some guy who actually mattered, but for the bulls, he matters because that's a team that's super mediocre. And he was that little boost, that little extra oomph, right? Like I joked with my friend, Pat Boyle, who, you know, as well, Zach, if the Timberwolves had Patrick Beverly yesterday in that game, they lost to the Lakers. I don't know if they blow it because he's that type of guy who says, yo, y'all are slipping right now. You look weak, get it together and let's ramp this thing up. We can't take our foot off their throat. We have them by the neck right now. That is what Patrick Beverly is. So for all the asides of me saying he's not a relevant actual player, he does have some relevant purposes. Yeah. Well said also on that, on the Pat Bev pod, shout out Jordan Petway. Fellow Endicott College goal alumnus, he's the producer and runs the social for the pod. Social is looking great for them too, by the way. Good job by your yeah. buddy. Yeah, JP, he was the point guard for Endicott. He had some good moments on the floor and he's got, got shaky films. He makes some great videos, so shout out to him. Go goals, obviously. But anyway, getting back to it, yeah, I'm, I'm curious to see. I want to see a 2.0 on the video side. I just want to see Pat Bev get up in, uh, in Miami. And do the Dwayne Wade scores table thing. Which he <laughs> made his doing it in Miami. First clear Toronto. First clear Toronto. And then then Toronto can blow it up. And both of us might be able to reap the benefits of that. And then we'll see. But no, no more on that, obviously. We'll get back here. And so looking at some of the numbers here, Pete, as to for the top guys and how they've performed in head-to-heads. Before Jalen Brunson's 48-point game, He'd only ever scored over 20 once against the Cavs. He had chopped 42, 43, and 38.5% in the first three games of the season. This is the first time he had a monumental impact, first time he's taken more than 20 shots. So it could still be a sign of things to come. He had uh, 48 points, most he's ever had in the game and against the Cavs. The nine assists were a high. The seven assists, only the second time he's made at least three triples against the Cavs. 
As for Julius Randle, he had 36, 13, and 4. The last time he met them in January, he missed that last game. That was his second 36-point game against Cleveland in his entire career. Most of this is with the Knicks. He scored 20 points on eight occasions against the Cavs. Six of them there. You know, he we'll see what he ends up doing. Randall has had eight games of four turnovers against Cleveland. And the number you want to hear, which is Donovan Mitchell's side, because Brunson and Randall can shake things off pretty well after a bad game. I think if they either of them have any, they'll be fine. In the four games this year, Don had 38 and 12 assists, 23, 4 and 5, 24, 8 and 8. And then in that last one, he had 42, 4 and 5. He made 8, 2, 6, and 6 threes in those games, shooting 67, 43, 18, and 62% from three. This is a lot of numbers. It's a lot to digest. But hearing that about those three guys, Pete, what does that tell you? about the top dogs on these two sides. Obviously, Garland and Mobley matter as well. But between those three, what does that tell you about the, these head-to-head games? I'll say this. Whether Julius Randle was fully healthy or not coming into the series, which he is not, but let's just say he was, the two constants that I expect are Mitchell and Brunson. Brunson proved a lot last year in the playoffs in Dallas. He was the best player on a team uh, in the first round last year that beat Donovan Mitchell, that went head-to-head with the Donovan Mitchell-led Jazz team where he was without Luka Doncic for three games and was averaging over 25 points a night. So this whole Jalen Brunson season, you know, I didn't expect him to average 24 this year, but it wasn't a fluke because he showed us signs of that last year when he had the chance and when he had the opportunity when Luka was hurt or even when Luka was playing. He was a super important number two. At this point, people would take him over Kyrie Irving, and that says a lot. Obviously, it's not a one-to-one talent conversation, but we don't got to go into that. So Brunson's a constant to me. I think he shows up. Donovan Mitchell, also a constant to me. This guy has super playoff experience. I actually heard you on that FanDuel TV show, Zach. I saw your clip on TikTok, which was very nice. Popped up on my For You page. Um, You were talking about how the Cavs last year didn't have somebody who has been there before. Now you can argue some of them have been there because they played last year. But Mitchell has been there for years. For a pretty young player, we take for granted how much playoff experience Donovan Mitchell has and how many electric offensive performances this guy has in the playoffs. He's not scared of any lights. He ain't shying away. If he goes 0 for 5 in the first quarter, he's still taking 25 shots. It's not a worry for him. It's not a worry for me. Well, it's a worry for me as a Knicks fan, but as somebody making a take about Donovan Mitchell, I'm not worried that he's going to fall on his face. Maybe he'll have that one game where he goes 8 for 24 and scores 19 really inefficient points. That might happen once, but I expect him to average 28 points a game this season, this series. I expect Jalen Brunson to average 23, 24 points per game this series. The Julius Randle question mark, obviously with the health front being number one, is how does he fare with that defensive lineup of Okoro, Mobley, Allen just wreaking havoc on what he wants to do? We've seen him get into trouble so many times before where he takes the ball and wants to be the man. He wants to be the guy who scores. He wants to get his shots. He wants to score his points. That's his biggest detriment at times, where he puts his head down, he goes into bad double teams, and you mentioned the key numbers, Zach, the turnovers. It's something that Knicks fans get frustrated with all the time, and it's why Jalen Brunson has been so important. Because their biggest issue, even in their season two years ago, when they made the playoffs to the four seed, was late in games. Randall said, I have to do this all by myself. And it was often a disaster. You even think about his biggest moment of the year this year, perhaps, is when he hit that crazy three against the Heat, That was a broken play where he was a second away from turning it over and got lucky with a crazy fadeaway three. So Randall worries me on that front. 
does he see this as a superhero moment or does he see this as a moment where he has to just do his role, which is not to score 40. It's not to match Donovan Mitchell. It's to just hang with the starters of the Cleveland Cavaliers, which is their strength and allow his other guys, his Brunsons, his quickly, his Grimes, his Barrett's to do their role to, to even out that tie. Yeah, and his six-year-old Kaiden Randall starts to get older. He, you know, he imitates all of his dad's moves, but he sees his dad doing that crazy one. It goes in. That's when he's going to be practicing on the little hoop in the driveway. Though at age six, being the son of six ten Julius Randall, who knows how fast he's going to grow and turn into a six-footer himself. But in actuality, you know, that, that's a great point. Randall has some great moments on the floor, and sometimes he looks like he's somebody that doesn't realize that. He's as good as he's been. When he was on the Pelicans right before the Knicks, I mean, he earned the payday that he initially got. There's no question. But going to the Pelicans had some question marks because that last year with the Lakers was the first time in his NBA career he was not a full-time starter. That is when he started to back up Brooke Lopez. He was running back up five for a bit. He goes to New Orleans, who I believe still had the AD Cousins thing going at that time. I don't know for sure if my years might be off. They may have had Nicole Miritich too. I don't remember the year exactly, but I know Randall wasn't starting the whole time. They had to come off the bench. He played well, did enough to parlay that into a starting role again with the Knicks. By the second year, he was tired of the negativity, and it seems like year four with the Knicks is the same as year two. The odd year is not good, so he's kind of like a – New York, uh, San Francisco Giants thing here when he's good in the even years uh, in a given time frame. But we talk about Randall and what he can do. We talk about Brunson. Here's what's, I think, going to be a big thing. And it's going to be the bench. And my question for you here, Pete, it's, it's pretty clear that Hart quickly and Hartenstein have established roles off the bench. Obviously, uh, Obi Toppin does as well in a limited capacity. However, could you see a situation where the Knicks decide that they're going to play Brunson and top uh, Brunson and Randall for the entirety of the first quarter as they have at times, so they're going to get their 12 minutes. And then maybe instead of going to Obi, they go smaller. Obviously it's going to depend on the cross and just kind of put hard at the four. Cause I feel like there should be no role for, for McBride in the postseason. He's, not been good from what I've seen. And then do you think, secondly, and I'll talk about the Cavs bench after, is there any chance of Fournier and Rose rejoining the rotation as kind of a deke out to what the Cavs may be planning for? There's almost no chance that Rose enters the rotation, and it saddens me to say, because I think Knicks fans have grown like such a love for Derrick Rose, and what he did two years ago was like the main reason outside of Randall that they were actually a good team. Uh, now he's not in the rotation at all. Fournier has a chance to be in the rotation for, you know, spot minutes. If someone gets into foul trouble, say Brunson's hand acts up and he's got to sit for a little while. Fournier could get a burn. And, and the one thing I do like about Fournier is when he comes in for eight minutes in a game, he could hit two threes, right? Like, so you have that, that variable with Fournier that he might do something. He might also do absolutely nothing, but I don't really, I don't really look at him as much of a, of an option there. As far as the bench is concerned, the one benefit of Brunson and Randall being banged up in these final few weeks is that quickly Grimes and Toppin have had this ability to play really freely without the worry of getting benched and not coming in for the rest of the game. I mean, quickly's past that, obviously. But those three guys had these performances where there was a game they all scored 30-plus and won in a huge game that the Knicks really needed, right? So that ability to be multiple is the Knicks' ticket to beating the Cavs. Like I said before, Randall doesn't have to outshine Donovan Mitchell head to head. 
Brunson doesn't have to outshine Mitchell or Garland head-to-head. They have to hang. They have to be nearby to your starting lineup. Because Grimes, you mentioned him before, that Garland might be the one who, who guards him. That's one where I look at as a Knicks fan and say, that's an opportunity for Grimes to actually slash and playmate because that's his most underrated part of his game. He actually likes pumping and going and getting into the lane and making nice dump-offs. He makes some really incredible passes. I think their only chance to win is to have quickly go off for 20-plus like two or three times in this series and to see Grimes and Toppin hit a handful of good threes and for Grimes to be that secondary, tertiary playmaker. You know, R.J. Barrett gets lost in this conversation as not being a bench guy, not being the key number one or number two starter, but quickly and Grimes and a little bit of Toppin, if they show up and they do those things when they get out in transition and hit big shots, that's their only ticket. I don't think Randall and Brunson win this series by themselves. It's ha- not how the Knicks made it this far, even though that's what the numbers tell you. It's always been which game is quickly showing up, which game is Grimes showing up. And that 50 combined from, from Brunson and Randall is nice, but without the Grimes show up, without the quickly show up, they're not winning as many games as they did this year. So I look at that bench as an absolute strength. And, and calling it the bench is a little bit convoluted at this point, especially if Randall's out to start the series. You know, Grimes and quickly might be in the starting lineup. Hart's another guy who he's not going to score 25 points in this series. Most likely, you know, he, he has a chance. Sure. But his thing is more like 10, 10 and five, right? That's more of a Josh Hart game. If you will, getting into passing lanes, getting out in transition, but Brunson and Randall aren't huge transition threats quickly top in Grimes. Those are the guys who make the splash plays, make the momentum plays who really lift the rest of the team. Yeah, you know, definitely hard to call it a bench when you're looking at the minute splits quickly can kind of be that super sub who I doubt with the the Knicks roster this time versus last time that we see a mid-series lineup change, although you never know. Obviously, Mitchell Robinson is going to be more important now than he's than he was. Well, I don't know. He was out, correct, in 21. So it was Noel starting at center. Yeah, he got he got banged up for a portion of that. It was a lot of a lot of Nerlens Noel not catching good passes inside the paint. <laughs> yeah, he's not a scorer, but you know, I, I think on, on the Cavs side of things, you know, you talk about the Knicks side, they can all come in and play as needed, freely or not. Karis LeVert, as of March 10th, just totally flipped the switch. He was in double digits in all but one game out of the final 12 he appeared in. He went for 20 on two occasions, two of 12 times this year. Levert had scoreless games. Levert was in single digits on 26 occasions. You know, they're 45 and 29 in the games he played. He was around for most of the year. He had some incredible moments, and he's had some absolute duds. That 40-point game against Boston might have been the biggest fluke of the year, and he went for 41, 4, and 7. Lost the starting role pretty quickly. He started 30 games in total. We didn't have a sixth man. As you also may note, my last time on uh, with – the morning after, shout out Ben Stevens and co over there. Uh, great production. Really enjoyed talking about the Cavs and spreading some Cleveland propaganda. You know how it is. <laughs> um, they didn't have a bench rotation set. Dean Wade was horrible. Lamar Stevens was kind of just sneaking in. Then they had that game against Boston the same night. Lamar Stevens didn't play for three quarters, played the entire fourth and overtime, eight and eight in that stretch with six offensive rebounds. We've seen Jetty Osman when he plays, when he plays 20 minutes, the Cavs are 29 and 14. That doesn't happen enough. I know the other side of that, there's still a winning team when he doesn't, but he absolutely should be playing more. They still haven't figured that out. Averts come in and understood he doesn't need to shoot that much. Just be a secondary playmaker when one of Donovan or Darius are out. And he's the one that made the pass to a in the Brooklyn game. You know, that's an, 
incredible win when honestly you look at your everyone that plays he's the the last guy you expect to make a big shot he has before but you have to go back a couple of seasons to when he really made a big shot in the last minutes of a game he did have a game-winning layup and one of might have even been his debut against the Pacers back when there were no fans a few seasons back but he hit that three so it's the next man up right Rubio has been horrible who's going to come in and replace him they figured out Levert Lamar, Jetty Osman should be in. I don't really know who else. I have no idea. That's definitely a question mark. The Knicks, on the, whether or not the Knicks win the series, they have their rotation for the season pretty set. We do not. Every starter, save for a core, will be playing 38-plus minutes, I believe, unless the game is a blowout at some point and they can trust. Because Rubio, and I'll let you jump in in a second. Remember Rubio at the Garden last year? That guy's not nowhere to be found. Uh-huh. He, he did not have any game where his shooting was insane. His turnovers are up. His timing is off. He'll still make some occasional shots, but it's clear post-ACL that he's not the same player. So i honestly not sure if it's going to be Neto, if Rubio still gets it, to Sam Merrill, who did sign a guaranteed contract, coming and play. I am worried about guards. Should Mitchell's hand act up, or should something happen to Garland? He's gotten poked in the eye over 10, 12 times on the season. So I am worried about our depth at times. Starting lineup, take the Cavs over any team in the East except for maybe Boston. But other than that, starters got to lock it and play well. And and you know what? That that's exactly what I've been saying about this series too. Because the, your your strengths in the starting lineup is just so elite. It really is, and that's why, weirdly enough, for this series, even though the Knicks have a chance, and that's why they're only plus one sixty and not plus two sixty. They have a chance, and it's with their depth. But your starters are so good that the Knicks don't have a chance past this series, right? Like, this is almost like the Knicks championship in a weird way, and Knicks fans wouldn't want to hear that, but it's true. The Cavs have actual aspirations to hang with the Bucks, to hang with the Celtics or Sixers. Like, they have actual opportunity to pull something like that, like that off. That doesn't mean that they're an absolute lock to beat the Knicks. It's a weird little balance there. Um, but I want to ask you about Levert specifically because – to me, and you watch the Cavs obviously way more than I do. I've caught a good handful of games, but Levert's always been the type of guy who, if you watch him on any night, you think he's fantastic or you think he's relevant and should be off the, off the court. Because he, like Randall, gets in these modes where he's shoot, shoot, shoot. I have to now score. I'm on the court. I'm getting my shots up. You alluded to it a little bit more. I want you to dive deeper into that. Do you actually trust him now? If you had to predict into this series, do you trust him to be superhero wannabe Levert, or do you expect him to be true basketball player with IQ Levert that he's shown at times, but never with true consistency? Yeah, so today I trust him. But on March 8th, if you go back, I'm going to at myself. I tweeted on March 8th. This was my ideal bench rotation for the Cavs. This was coming off the Boston game. It was Lamar Stevens, sixth man, Jetty seventh, Danny Green eight, Rubio nine, Levert ten. And they could take out Levert for any of Dean Wade or a healthy Dylan Windler, yada, yada, yada. Obviously now, ranking the bench bottom to top, I don't know. If they go nine deep, I'll go Lamar Stevens nine, uh, Jetty Osman, or rather Lamar Stevens at nine, Rubio slash Neto at eight, Osman at seven, and then Levert would be six. Levert can play. I think right now I trust him. And it's kind of funny because I was one of the many people harping on trade him after last season. He came in last year and he was kind of doing what Donovan would be in clutch situations. Darius can't get make something happen, give the ball to the next guy. Levert was the next guy. 
he does get his own shot. Although for some reason he always misses his little mid range looks and it's baffling to me. The crazy thing is he shot 43% from the fields and he was in the thirties for most of the season. He got it up late 39% from three. He hits enough shots. I think, I think he knows his role now. Finally, we don't know what's going to happen after the season, but for right now we're stuck with him. I think if Mitchell or Garland are having an off day, he can step up and take a few extra shots. I think he's an eight to 11 attempt per game guy. His efficiency has been better. I think he's capable again. We only need 10 to 14. The Cavs aren't going to get 50 points from their bench. That's just not going to happen most nights. Dean Wade, the version you saw beginning of the season is gone. Remember that Taylor Swift song? She can't come to the phone. Why? She's dead. He's not dead. He's fine. He's healthy. But he's, he's not coming to the phone. The Dean Wade that signed the extension ain't coming to the phone. Maybe if we're going to be weird with it, maybe his stunt double, Ween Dade, might come and say, hey, you need 15 minutes for me? I'll do it. Because Dean Wade's not that guy. And look, I like him. I really do. You love the story of the undrafted player staying with that team long enough to get a long-term contract. Okay, the Miami Heat are known for this. The Cavs did it with Lamar Stevens. They did it with Della Vadova, although it kind of went to the Bucs. But they brought him back. And now it's happening with Dean Wade. So I want it to work. I don't think it will. It doesn't mean he's gone after the season. But I don't trust him coming into the game. So who else does come in other than Karras, right? So if a starter goes down, a starter's playing bad, I guess we're going to have to see. But the name I'd love to see get minutes. I've been preaching this since he got here. John Michaels been doing play-by-play for the Cavs for the last four years on TV, the previous eight on radio. He said they, on the pod, they signed him for a reason. It's not just to sit around. That's why they threw him into that Sixers game where they were down 30, almost came all the way back and lost right before the break. Danny's won three titles with three teams. You know, he was with the Sixers for some big ones on top of that. You know, he's been around the league, and I feel think he's good enough. I think we have him here for a reason. I love him, honestly. I can't say this because Isaac Coro has been really solid at times. I wish he could start almost in a way just because he right. gives you five minutes in the first five minutes in the third, and he still makes his shots. He's just moving slow. You can get Danny green in the rotation with Karras and Jetty, maybe one other guy. I think you're fine. Give him a chance. These last two games showed that, and you saw Udonis in game 82. It might've been game 82. It might've meant absolutely nothing. These old guys on the bench are still here for a reason, and it's not just so they can scream at the young guys to bring them more water and Gatorade. They can still play. Udonis, 24 and, and what, five after sitting most of the last three years. Okay, he also played well in Dwayne Wade's last game. I'll give him that. They needed Haslam in game 83. <laughs> <laughs> uh, they keep showing him on Bleacher and House of Highlights, but they're not putting him in the game. If they struggle, I don't see what you have to lose throwing him in for two minutes. You have nothing to lose. Run a slow set, so take 24 seconds. If they double move the ball, he has a nice three-pointer now because he sure as hell ain't getting to the rim except for that one weird alley-oop dunk where he stole Vince Carter's talent like a monster from <laughs> wherever he was announcing. He's done games in Orlando. But honestly, you bring in these old vets for a reason. The Cavs don't have many. They let Kevin Love go. He, so he went to Miami where he only played three minutes last night. Interesting. Not that he should have been out there, but I would have put him out there ahead of some of the other guys they, they put in while they were struggling. But he's the vet. He's the only old guy. Everyone else is young, except for Robin Lopez. And Robin Lopez still looks like he's 22. So 
I want Danny to get a chance. And if he does, I think we could be singing a different song when we come together after a team's won two games. Yeah, Danny Green's that type of guy who, if he gets on the court, I'm saying, all right, let's get him on a switch. He can't hang with Brunson. He can't hang with Barrett. He can't hang with with whoever is guarding him if they can have any driving ability because of that lateral ability that he's kind of lost a little bit. But then as soon as he gets the ball open in the corner or at top of the break, I'm like, oh, oh no. like Because he can still hit shots. I mean, I, I, I didn't see – he only played eight games for the Cavs this year, but I mean, he shot 44% from three. He clearly can still shoot the ball. So it's one of those mixed bags. It's kind of like Fournier. Right, if Fournier comes in the game for eight minutes, you're not expecting anything. But if he takes a shot, you're like, that might go in, that might go in, right? Like that is what Danny Green could be for you guys, and that could be extremely huge. And it might only be one segment of one game out of six or seven. That might be all it is, but it is somebody that they should consider calling his card at some point. The last thing on the Levert front, just to get it off my chest, it's like you need him, but you don't want him to know he's needed. If, if, does that make sense? Because if he feels like he's needed to do a lot, that's when it can get weird for Levert. And we had the luxury of being in the tri-state, watching him in Brooklyn for so many years. There were games where it's like, oh my God, this dude is back. He got that crazy, uh, it was like, a, wasn't it a sickness? He was sick. Yeah, he had a, he had a tumor. When, and then they traded right. him to Indy. They found a, uh, it was, oh, sorry, it was either a tumor or cancer in one of his kidneys. Yeah. So it was really scary. And then when he made it back, it's like amazing story. And then once he kind of passed through that, it's like, no, this guy's fully back. Nothing to worry about. Then it's more reasonable to be frustrated with the guy. And I always felt bad in the beginning being like, God, I love his talent so much, but sometimes he's just so frustrating. He gets that, that tunnel vision, the blinders are on and whatnot. So you need him when it comes down to Cleveland, but you don't want him to know he's that needed because you need him to play in the flow. And when he's now looked at as a tertiary playmaker for this team behind Mitchell, behind Garland, probably even behind Mobley at this point, because Mobley's been showing all sorts of, of playmaking chops this season, like Levert can really make an impact. And if he starts hitting shots, that's when as a Knicks fan, that's when I get super nervous. Because if he's putting up 18 points a game, that's where the Cavs get almost unbeatable, right? We have to almost rely on saying, Mobley, Garland, Mitchell, they're going to score 75 points combined. It's going to be great for them, but maybe we can outscore them with everybody else. If Levert adds 18 to that mix, it's a completely different story. So I am 100% not relying on Karis Levert to play well, but 100% nervous that if he plays well, that could be the death of the Knicks in this series. Yeah, exactly. Karis Levert should not be listening to songs like I'm the man or using phrases like I'm him. He should be going back to the high school musical saying we're all in this together. He's not yes. Troy Bolton. He's not Troy Bolton. I don't remember the other character <laughs> name, but he's Corbin Blue. He's yes. there. He's on the court. He's getting some love off the court, but he's not that guy. He doesn't need to be. He doesn't need to be Troy Bolton. He doesn't need to be the point guard on the Teen Wolf team. You know, he doesn't need to be Nathan Scott. You know, he's, he's great. Oh, the One Tree Hill reference. How about oh, that? I was Your late bag to the is game. deep, Zach. Your bag is deep. <laughs> I was late to the game. I was late to the One Tree Hill game. I only finished it a couple months ago. But I, I is, watched it in grammar school because the girl who I liked said it was cool. So I was like, yeah, I also think it's cool. And I watched it. <laughs> that's hey, that. That's what got me on the show originally. But two a week later, I was watching it for myself because that situation did not pan out. But oh. it's okay. Because I – oh, please. There's nothing to be – Current situation blows any other situation out of the water. We're not here. She did design my logo as well. Also, shout out, shout out Ellie Wydra. My girlfriend, she is the, she did design the new logo. Does a lot Found of great it. design work. So 
she, we, we met a couple meetings after, right after we started going out. She does a ton of design, spoke about the logo. She had a concept. I like to call it ATC. So we got the Cavs sword going through. The color is great with the name underneath. So I've been, been a big fan of that. So I, I, that's, that's a good segue to get that in there. I didn't think I'd be able to do that today. Win-win. Yeah, win-win. All right. So all things considered, you know, one tree hill quotes aside, we got we to gotta pick a winner. Pete, I'm going to start, and then I'll watch your reaction as I say this, and then we'll go to you. Can we get a drum roll, please? Can we get the 216 sticks here? I am going. In six games, the winner of the series is, insert bias here, the Cle- <laughs> I'm going Cavs in six, and I'll tell you why. Okay, first off, I can see a world where the Knicks win this series. I can see a world where everyone's like, fire J.B. Bickerstaff. I can see a world where it's like, Evan Mobley folded. But the counter, but Julius Randle folded two years ago. Here's what I think is going to happen. I think Donovan Mitchell in game one is just going to come out absolutely firing. And he's going to go off. I think he's going to go off in game one. I think he's going to come back to earth in game two, and that is when Garland and Mobley step up. The Cavs are going to be up 2-0 in this series. They're going to win both. And then what I think is going to happen is we get back to New York. It's 2-0. It doesn't matter that they didn't win one yet because they still have another chance to take care of business. The Knicks are going to win game three at the Garden, okay? And then I think the road teams take care of the rest. I think early on, you're getting in front of your home crowd. The Knicks are going to struggle a bit. Randall's going to be fine. He's going to score, what, 40 in game three. Game four is going to come around. It's going to be close. And I think the reason you traded for Donovan Mitchell is going to be when he silences the garden like Trey Young did, except the booing might be a little different because Donovan really never fully disrespected the team. I don't think he's that kind of guy. And that's nothing on Trey. And then I think we get to game five. The Cavs are at home. They've never been in this position without LeBron while I've been watching them. I was two back then. They didn't get out of the first round. You have to go an extra five years for their playoff series win without LeBron, 92-93. Mm. And also keep in mind, they've only advanced without James, I believe, three times in franchise history, once in the 70s, twice in the 90s. That's it. Yep. I, it's the miracle at Richfield was their only playoff series win for the first 22 years of existence. But all that said, in game five, they're going to rest on their laurels. I think the Knicks are going to come and steal one. Then we're going to go to game six. Knicks fans are going to be like, game seven. You're going to be one of them. We're like, all oh, about game seven. And But I think Don is going to come back. He's had so many playoff duds in the, in the with the Jazz. Not him himself, but the team he was on. So it almost looks like he's part of the problem. Like when he dropped 57 in that game against Denver in the bubble and oh they lost. God. What a game. Jamal. Yeah, what a game. I remember that. I think it was an afternoon game. Didn't feel like the afternoon because every game felt like the same time watching them in there. But I think he's going to have a, a, his signature moment, his maestro, his Beethoven, you know, his uh, his Lucas Scott, 10 minutes in the championship game, hitting that big shot. No spoilers, though. You don't know what year I'm talking about. They played for a couple. And at the end of the day, it's going to be Cavs and six. The Knicks should have no reason to hang their heads with that result. Obviously, you know, we're going to get together after two games are won by a team for the for the midpoint. But I think that's how it's going to go. The Knicks should still be proud of that result, but I'm sure you're going to have a flip for the Game 7 winner. You don't know me, Zach. You don't know where I'm going with this pick, all right? Let me just say this. A lot of people here in New York, and when I spend time over at WFAN, hosts and, and fans alike trying to discover what's a true success story from this Knicks postseason run. 
Some people say that it's win in the first round or bust, no matter the result. If they do not beat the Cavs, this season was a failure. I am not that guy. I'm a little bit more nuanced than that. I like to think I'm not biased like that either. If the Knicks don't go six games, that is something I will say is not a success. If they lose in five, a gentleman sweep where they're even in a couple games, but they lose in five, I'm going to be upset. I will. If your scenario plays out where they lose in six, that to me is right at the threshold of success. They're not supposed to beat the Cavs. The Cavs are minus 200. The Knicks are plus 160 something, 170, whatever it may be. That's properly rated. Vegas got this one right. That's how this series should be looked at. However, I think this game is, the series is going seven. I mentioned that in the open. But Zach, I don't think the New York Knicks are going to win this. Oh, I think, boy. I think it's Cleveland Cavaliers in seven. And I think it's Donovan Mitchell who puts the dagger in the Knicks in this series, just breaking all of our hearts just a little bit more. For all of us who said after we did not make the trade for Donovan Mitchell, it's okay. We have Brunson now. We have flexibility. There's going to be a little bit of buyer's remorse or lack thereof if they're not actually buyers on Donovan Mitchell. If Donovan Mitchell was a Nick right now, boy, oh boy, would this be a wonderful team to look at as somebody who can hang with the Sixers and Celtics of the world. They can't. The Cavs can I said this in my podcast last week. The Cleveland Cavaliers and Knicks are close. They're 4-5 for a reason. The Cavs are much closer to the Sixers, Celtics, and Bucks than the Knicks are. However, the Cavs are also closer to the Knicks than they are closer to those other teams, those top Agreed. three of the Eastern Conference. That still puts the Cavs ahead. Their star power is too good. I think Mobley shows up in this series. He's now got some of that rookie stuff off of his back. Last year did not end well for him. He's been so much better this year. For people who have not watched the Cavs, he is going to be one of the people in this first playoff series and say, oh my God, he's taking a leap. And it might not show up in the box score, but it's the right pass. It's the right defensive switch. It's the the help defense where he comes over and blocks Randall at the rim. That's what Mobley's going to bring to the table. But Mitchell, in the end, puts the dagger in the Knicks in Cleveland. Game seven, I think it's a hard-fought series. I think Knicks fans will be devastated, but with their heads held high as this series will go to the freaking wire and the Knicks will have a chance to win it. And in the end, the best clutch player in the series in Donovan Mitchell prevails and Brunson gives his best effort. I think Brunson's going to be looked at as an equal or close to Donovan Mitchell in that regard, but Donovan Mitchell and the Cavs win this one in seven. Yeah. Shout out to DM 45. It's a rare playoff series where both teams have a number 45, except one of them is still looked at for that weird dunk where he had the letter and he pulled it out and it said 50. And the other guy is throwing down 50 dunks in games. That's not a disrespect. I actually like Jericho Sims and I enjoyed his performance yeah. on Christmas day. I think it was against Philadelphia, mm-hmm. but it's going to be fun. There's no question about that. Pete and I will get together after a team has won two games under the Subway Sports Talk umbrella and see what we think. Pete's going to grill me on everything, and I'm going to do my best to stand my ground and grill him back without sounding like a fool if the Knicks get the two wins first, which they might. They might. So it's going to be fun. Thankfully, we don't have to wait all day. We get a 6 o'clock start. And then my last question, Pete, are you going to be going to any of the games? Are those ticket prices doing a little too much to your your, your mind bank there? Because those look pretty bad. I'm not far from MSG either, as folks know, but that prices are scaring me. $600 to get in close? 
Ticket prices are scaring me, man. They're scaring me. I will not be going to a game. My friend sent in uh, Game 4 tickets to the group chat. I was like, yo, we're going. I said, I can't do it. $380 starting point for the worst seats in the house, and now there's no real bad seats in MSG. You'll have a great time no matter Mm -hmm. where you are, feeling the energy of the garden. But for Game 4 specifically, oh, I'm nervous because, God forbid, it's 3-0. That $380 ticket is now worth $95. Uh, and that, it's not something, it's not a business that I'm going to be uh, investing in. I will be in Brooklyn on Saturday to watch the game. So I'll be tapped in uh, mm-hmm. bar front. I'm super excited for the game, uh, but I will not be going to any games. It's just too much money for where I'm at right now. And uh, I'm not, I'm not trying to spend that type of dough when yep. I can go to the bar with my buddies, spend a quarter of the money and have a grand old time and still feel the vibe of New York building up for the Knicks. I'm with that. You know, we'll see. Being a Cavs fan in this area, we'll see how that goes for me. I don't plan to rub it in anyone's face if they win. I do expect people to throw apple cores at me on trains if Cavs <laughs> lose a game. And and I'll catch it with my Donovan Mitchell grasp and toss it in the nearest trash can like Darius Garland. But it's, it's going to be yeah, spite a sense. And she don't know Darius's true nickname yet. I don't know. Does if he have one? Like, they just call him DG. Well, well, basketball reference always has stupid nicknames on here. Let's see what they got for him. That'll be our closing line. Oh, DG the PG and Boog? He's not Boog. Boog. That's the Marcus. No. No one's calling him DG the PG either. Oh, no, he gets that. Trust me. Oh, yes. He gets that. that. I call him him that at times on the pod, but I don't feel like it's a nickname. I just feel like it's a phrase, right? Like, for I don't even have an example. No, we're we're good here. I think think we got a great – you used to have Sexland, but that was obviously. I, I, I kind of miss Sexland. You know, it was kind of funny that one time when the admin actually acknowledged it. It only happened once. Yeah, it, it that, that was fun. Now you got like uh, Spiderland. I don't know, Mitchland. Uh, yeah. Mitchland. There you go. That sounds like a separate person, which is might be might be a benefit. It's like when yeah. Goku or Gohan and Trunks combined in Dragon Ball, and they became a. Go tanks or whatever the heck it yeah, was. I'm surprised you went go tanks before you went Gogeta when you had Goku and Vegeta mm. in a little later years. How about that? Look at the, well, the baggers are so deep right uh, here. Stra- he and Zach, look at this. Dragon Ball Z was my first favorite show. I can oh, I, I I can go to my kindergarten teacher and see if we still got the papers. Oh, the best thing of all time. Love it. It was great. Although Yu Yu Hakusho came in and might have taken it off my list as, as number one. But this isn't the anime debate. We're going to open with it. We're going to do it in the beginning so people aren't listening in minute 52 wondering, <laughs> does that think Yusuke Urameshi is the goat of anime? <laughs> We're not having that. We, we have plenty of people I can bring on to, to aid or, or debunk anything I'm saying, but... It's been fun, Pete, and I look forward to seeing game one and getting back together probably middle of next week. I, I Well, I guess it'll probably be after, it'll be after game two or game three regardless and seeing who's more wrong. Could be me. It could very well be me, but if it's in, not. In reality, we're, we're kind of on the same page, honestly. Yeah, I mean, we're on the same page. Yes, I hope that the series goes differently than, than what we're both saying. I, I think, though, however, like if the series goes almost game for game, what we're predicting – this can still go both ways. That's the beauty of this series and why I do think it's going to be that close. Cause this is not going to be, uh, I don't think this is a gentleman sweep by the caps. I don't think it is. And that's great. a great thing for, for this basketball season. This has the ability to be the best series of the first round. So I'm, I'm thrilled. It absolutely does. It's going to be fun, but that'll do it for this edition of across the Cavs times subway sports talk. He's Pete Kennedy. I'm Zach Weiss. If you like what you heard, you know where to go. Drop a review. 
give it five stars or if you hate it, if you think our voices sound annoying, if you think I don't, you mean not having a Cavs banner behind me makes me a fake fan, let me know in the comments. But we'll see you again real soon. And until then, bonsoir.